Again, we'll take your prayer request and uh, have a time of prayer. Laura? Okay, pray for Zach as he travels and as he is away for two months involved in training. Judy. Okay, pray for Randy's sister Tina. Um, Surgery and then on the 6th of March, and then follow-up treatments dependent on the surgery. Beverly? Okay. Thank you again for praying for Beverly and us and Again, extending yourself through cars and etc. John. Well, in addition to our uh, to our mothers, um, and Penny's mother had a couple of falls. Now, thankfully, nothing is broken, and it was a standard procedure for a weight to lift. And I'd also like prayers for the United States Navy. I say that because of what they have to face around the world right now, and what they might have to face. Okay. Pray for Penny. Pray for John and Penny's moms, and especially Penny's mom's recent falls. And just in general, pray for our military and our whole wide, worldwide political scene. Okay, I have down here, uh, continue to pray for Christina Maiosi's dad, for Sandy and her husband, Gene. Gene is scheduled to have some radiation treatment. They just don't have a schedule yet. We're grateful to see Marcy here today. And Ron had surgery a few days ago. I was out of town. I did not check with him, but I expected to see him today. So I don't know if Ron's having difficulties after the surgery or not, but pray for Ron Shivers. He may just be away visiting, but I don't know. Okay, let's talk to God. Father, thank you that you are a gracious God and a caring God. Thank you that you know our heart's desires. I'm sure there are some here every week that have concerns, burdens in their heart that they don't even know how to express, how to share with them publicly, but they are depending on you for strength and grace and mercy to get through this particular day or this particular week before them. I think as I say that even of John and Kate and the the children as they continue to move through this very, very difficult time, that you would comfort and console them, remind them of your individual love for them and care for them. We do pray for Christina Maiosi's father and and, uh, for his special needs as he moves through this, this particular time. For Zach as he travels and then as he is involved in this training that you will Watch over him, keep his family here safe and, and secure. We pray for Tina, that you would just enable her to 
face these days between now and the surgery calmly and expecting you to work in our heart and life in a very special way during these difficult times. We pray that they will be very successful in their surgery and that they will then be able only to follow up with the radiation treatments. Pray for Gene as he also is waiting the scheduling of the radiation treatments and pray for Gene and Sandy for their strength as they get back and forth from the appointments and move through this particular time. We thank you for the privilege of praying for those that are here in our class. We continue to pray for Penny and for her very special physical needs, for John and Penny and for their moms. And we thank you for their burden and their care and concern for their, for their mothers. We just thank you for, for that. And we pray, Father, for our world. We know that the Scripture promises us wars and rumors of wars. And we know that that is to come, but we know also that there are people that have loved ones that are serving in the military actively right now, that you would just be pleased to watch over them, pray for believers in the services, that they would have strength and courage to speak up for their faith, speak up for their relationship with Christ, that we would see others coming out of their darkness into your marvelous light. Thank you again for your word and for the truth of it, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to spend my, I think we'll be spending the next two weeks on the subject of the angel of the Lord, um, God's created spirit messengers. The reference angel of the Lord or the angel of God appears like 67 times in the Old and New Testament, so it's off, sometimes it's something that's mentioned often. There are Several times when one chapter will contain four or five references to it, so it's not like it appears 67 different times in the Scripture, but if you, it does appear uh, quite often. Interestingly enough, this subject is the, the angel of the Lord is covered under Christology, <laughs> and it's also covered under angelology, which is what we're studying under right, right now. Uh, probably... Uh, technically, it probably deal, really belongs more under Christology, since we're, it, we're really saying that it's a Christophany, that it's an appearance, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, appearance of Christ in physical form, prior to his actually taking on flesh, uh, in, as we know it in the, in the Gospels. So it's covered twice. If you were studying through it, it would, it would appear that, that particular way. As I've mentioned before, um, a Christophany, the, the last part of that word just talks about appearance, so it's appearance of Christ, or some have chosen to refer to it more as a theophany or an appearance of God. I personally believe they are Christophanies. I believe that from the strength of the fact that Christ is the one that comes in flesh in the New Testament, so any appearances of the Godhead in the Old Testament would, at least in my mind, most likely be the second person of the Godhead also, or... or um, or Christ. And so um, that is where we're at. Um, I always ask my question, pretty, this selfless question, pretty much every week since we've been studying this subject. And does, does God need angels? Or does God need the angel of the Lord? No, God doesn't need an angel. He can do all these things just by his power. He doesn't have to have someone physically show up to do something, he doesn't have to have someone physically show up to deliver a message. But God has chosen to create uh, 
spirit beings or angels, as we often, most often refer to them. And God has chosen also to send his son, um, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, to deliver uh, special messages, special times of message uh, to, to people in specific times of need. I don't know if you'll remember, but in two weeks ago, which was the last time we met, we met last week Paul was here and I thought personally did an excellent job in his presentation on last Sunday morning. But the question was raised at the end of the hour, and the person that raised the question isn't here right now to get hear my response, but maybe I can talk to him later about it. He and I talk all the time after cert class. So, uh, But in Daniel chapter 10, if you want to turn there for a moment, there's a reference there. I'm going to read, read it while you're turning. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, as, as, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, and this is a very specific reference which underlines or underscores the historical fact, the historical accuracy of this event that Daniel's going to write about. He's saying, it was at a specific time, I was in a specific place, this really happened. This isn't just something that I, all of a sudden I thought I remembered or experienced or whatever, but it happens this way. He says, I lifted up my, lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Euphaz. His body was like the burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze and color, and the sounds of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frail to me, and I returned no strength. What question was raised after class was, is there enough evidence in this passage to declare that this is a Christophany? Is this an angel of the Lord appearance, even though it doesn't, isn't labeled that way? And I'll just be honest with you, it was just one of those cases, first of all, it's something I've always been taught I guess I've always believed uh, when I was studying for it. That's you know it's what the commentator in Daniel said. It was what the, the people that the books that I've been using most commonly. I think I've already referred to these before, but the book here by uh, Fred Dickinson and a book here by Reynolds Reynolds Showers. But anyway, um, you know, is this is this truly a, a Christophany? Uh, because there's no. Typically, we're looking for some definitive statement out of the mouth of the person, or we're looking for some definitive action out of the mouth of the person. This, in this particular case, we have only the appearance. So I would just say to you that it was a good question. I was challenged by it. I was made like, okay, got a point, good point. All we're having is this description of this individual. Um, so I would just say to you that probably still based upon the appearance of the individual, the way the individual is described, and as compared to the, to, uh, the passage in the book of Revelation, I s- would sort of tend to still believe that this is a Christophany, but I can understand the idea that it, there's really only one piece of evidence, not the two or three that we would n- normally look for. So I would tell you I'm not, as, I'm not as committed to the fact that it's a Christophany as I was before the question was raised. But, but uh, if, if you're comfortable with that, that's fine. I'm just, I've always tried to be what I call academically honest to people when I'm teaching. 
Sometimes I don't really know. So why should I make up an answer? There's sometimes that I just have questions myself that, you know, nothing of the cardinal doctors, nothing of the fundamentals, but sometimes there's just passages that are like, okay, that's your view and my view and we're a little different, but okay, we could go ahead and agree to disagree without being disagreeable, and this is sort of that way. I will say to you that based on that conversation, that as I went on to study some of these other passages we're going to look at today, it made me just reevaluate my own personal study of those passages and, and not just go like, okay, for years this has been referred to as an angel of the Lord or Christophany. I've, I've tried to rethink through some of those passages. Um, I will tell you that it would probably take, you'd probably have to devote one or two weeks to each one of the passages we're going to look at today to properly exegete them and probably ex- properly expose them. So even today's study is sort of like, okay, it's not as, as uh, definitive as, I, as, I, as it could be or as I would like it to be. But in light of the fact that I have to do all this in a certain amount of time, we just have to do what I can do right now. So turn back with me to Genesis 16. So I appreciate your questions. I appreciate your input. I know sometimes in class trying to get through material, it may, may not seem like I'm open to that, but I am. Sometimes I try to control input to be able to keep going. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes it seems like the input would take over the class, and that's difficult to continue uh, accomplishing what you accomplish also. So we've got both of those things happening. This is a, the uh, story here of... Um, Hagar, in her first experience, being sent out into the wilderness. Um, And we're going to pick up reading with verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourselves under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, and notice now, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are but child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard of your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brother, all of his brother. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. Observe it is between Kedish and Bered. So this individual identified here in the text as the angel of the Lord, um, not only is it possible that her, his appearance physically was noticeable to Hagar, that she was in the presence of someone that was not a normal human appearance, but just the very fact that he makes this particular statement in verse 10. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they should not be counted for multitude. Just the very fact that that ability was rested in this individual believes me, causes me to believe that we're look, talking about someone here that is greater than just a messenger, just an angelic created spirit being that we are actually talking in this context 
about someone who is God speaking in this particular form referred to as an angel of the Lord. One of the books that I read uh, makes a significant, um, a big, a significant point about the fact that it's the angel of the Lord, or as you would know, it's the angel of Yahweh, literally if we go back to the, to the Old Testament. The word Elohim, the word for God, is a word that was even used in the other cultures, in the other countries surrounding Israel. Their gods were called Elohim also, or El. But only the God of Israel was, was known by the title of Yahweh. And so the very fact that this is the title... We will see in our study that angel of the Lord and angel of God seem to be exchangeable, interchangeable at times, but for the most part, it's a refer- it's a emphasis upon the angel of the Lord or the angel of Yahweh, or some of us that are older, maybe angel, you may th- be th- hearing angel of Jehovah. Um, but so, there's a, the one author made a really big deal that made me really think about it: the fact that this is a personal messenger from God to his covenant people, because the idea of the, of the word that is behind the word that we have here all in all caps in our English Bible is the word Yahweh uh, in, the, in, the Hebrew, in the Hebrew language. So, so the angel of the Lord is a very special and specific messenger that God is using to communicate with his people, Israel. Now, of course, here's Hagar, and basically just based on her relationship with Abraham. Sandy? Uh, sometimes the angels tell, tell them not to be afraid. Uh, why wasn't she afraid in this circumstance? All I can say is she's probably already scared out of her wits, to, to use an expression. This woman's near to dying. She's in the wilderness. She's absolutely by herself. I don't, I don't know if she could have gotten any more scared, but it's a good question. But sometimes the angel of the Lord does tell people when he comes to greet them, don't be afraid. Yeah, I know, I know. So I don't think he came to her in blazing light or anything like that. I think he looked like a, a, per, a man. Now, that still should have frightened her. She's out there in the wilderness by herself. She has no defense. But Scripture, evidently, evidently in this particular situation, her response was not important. Well, how she felt or what she thought wasn't important. That wasn't the important part of the, of the text that were recorded. Okay, so, so there is here... Um, I think more evidence that this individual is, a, is, a, is a, in fact, God just appearing, uh, Christophany. Uh, at the end, also, Hagar draws the conclusion that she's been in the presence of God, the God who sees. Okay? She's, she understands that this, what he's telling her and what he's, the prophet's prophetic statement he makes about her son and the nations that are come, to come out of the loins of her son are more than just a, an ordinary man or even just some type of a created spirit being that she, in fact, is in the presence of God himself. So, Next passage we have in Genesis is also related to Hagar and is in Genesis 21. This, of course, is created by the conflict between, between Ishmael and the, and, the, and the young child Isaac, as Sarah now has been able to give birth, and the conflict that exists there. Sarah, Sarai wants river, 
It's now Sarah, but Sarah wants rid of her, wants rid of Ishmael. She doesn't want to be reminded of them any longer, and Abraham is hesitant to send her away. God tells her, him in verse 12, and to go ahead and do that, 12 and 13. So in verse 14 of Genesis 21, so Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, putting on her, her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water and skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went, sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot, where she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him, lifted up her voice, and wept. Now, there are just things in that passage that, I guess culturally, we, we could all have questions about. I mean, why did Abraham only give her a bottle of water and a little bit of bread? Why didn't he give her two donkeys full of food or two camels full of food or whatever, whatever. Um, you know, it, it seems like that, that he didn't do a very good job of taking care of her. Um, I don't, you know, I, I'm just saying, you may, be, you may be caught, pick that up as you were reading it down through it also. It's like, wow, he didn't give her very much to, to survive on that he'd expect her not to survive or, or whatever. But we don't have the answers to all those questions. But in verse 17, and God heard the voice of the lad, then the angel of God called to, to Hagar out of heaven and said, to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him in the land of Egypt. And so... You know, even in this particular context, even one of those questions I said was raised, um, how many of your mothers would put your baby under a bush over there and then go over here and sit down and, I mean, it, it wouldn't matter if it were, the baby was screaming in the d- deepest kind of agony possible. You wouldn't have done that, would you? You would have held on to the baby until there was no breath left in the child. So there's just some little things here that are like, doesn't make sense, but that's the way it happened. That's, that's, what, that's what took place in this particular situation. Um, let me back up for just a minute. In verse 17, you notice that it did say in that particular case, the angel of God, uh, in that, in that so forth. And also he referred to the fact that God has heard that. In verse 19, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So here's a very... Uh, what we would probably refer to under the category of miracles. She's there. She certainly would have been astute enough or alert enough to have searched for some source of water before she gave up in despair. And so where there was no water, there now is water, which could only come from the hand of God. It couldn't have come from just, not that God couldn't have worked through an angel, a normal angel, but in this particular case, it appears to be directly linked to the person who's here talking to Hagar, that this well well appears. Amos? Sounds to me like uh, that sort of answers the question that you asked a while ago uh, with the water. You said about uh, why didn't you give him more of it? Well, there's probably a reason behind that right here. Yeah. From God's vantage point, yes, right. definitely. But from our vantage point, as we, we examine it, it's like, you know, why didn't he give him, you know, but yeah. Ultimately, they were going to need God's help, direct help. Ultimately, they just came quicker because they only had one skin of water. And, you know, and think about how much water can you carry comfortably. You're not going to carry a whole, 
whole pile of, one lady is not going to carry a whole bunch of water uh, out into the wilderness, no matter what, how used she is to, to manual labor or whatever. But, so yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all part of what God's doing, what God's doing. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, he was a teenager by this point. And did you notice whose voice that God heard? The voice of the lad. So that was interesting, too, as you studied through the text. Instead of it being Hagar in this particular case that God's responding to, she, he actually is responding, it says, to the voice of the lad. So, again, this passage is typically referred to as a Christophany. Um, it may not contain all the elements that we would like to have in it, but it, it's typically referred to that, and I believe that it should be referred to that or referenced as a Christophany. And I don't even have to turn my page in my scripture to get to the next one in Genesis 22. And um, this, of course, is the case of Abraham and taking his son Isaac up to the, on the mount to sacrifice him. Um, and God um, going to provide for that sacrifice in this particular case. And in verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for, I not, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. In those words there, he says, now I know that, I know your heart, I know where you're at, uh, whatever. This isn't uncommon in the scripture for, for God to allow a person to demonstrate their trust in God, to demonstrate their desire to follow God or whatever. And then for God to recognize that, it's not that God didn't already know the quality of that individual's heart, didn't already know what that individual was going to do, but he wants us to know. He wants us to be able to move through those circumstances and, and express trust in him and obedience to him, uh, even though he didn't have to visibly go through the test or put us through the test to know. Um, I'm sure there are some t- teachers before they ever gave their class the test know which students are going to do well and which students aren't going to do so well. So God already knows. It's just simply that way. So I just want to make sure that we... That this, that, so this still can be God speaking. And he says, I know this now uh, because God does this in other, other circumstances. John? It's very interesting what kind of things are put in all of our ways to cause us to grow. Right. And this was Abraham's leapfrog of growth. Yep. Yeah, it's very interesting, God's how he does enable us to grow through difficulty. And <clears throat> so I'm going to pick back up, I think, with verse 12. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the ladder, or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, for there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Again, the ram wasn't there, and all of a sudden the ram is there. Uh, you know, a, a sure act of God, a sure sense of God being being involved in this. Um, in verse, I'm going to read verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And so here we have the angel, the Lord, and he definitely is uh, 
speaking things that only God could speak and, uh, and expecting those kind of responses that only God could speak in this situation. So this may be, for me, uh, to the, out of the three passages we've looked at briefly to this point, this one, to me, is probably the, the one that's the clearest, um, has multiple things that indicate that it is an, a Christophany, even though I do believe the other two are also. Any thought, other thoughts or whatever? Again, again, I'm not intending in, in this next two weeks to cover every passage that has a reference, but I'm trying to cover some of the major ones. <clears throat> Any other thoughts? Okay, Genesis 31. And in verse 11 of, angel th- of um, Genesis 31, it says, An angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. Here I am. And he said, Lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks or streaks, speckled and gray spotted, and so forth. And that, but in a, little bit, a couple lines more down, it says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. So he not only talks, referred to as an angel of God, but then identifies himself as being God himself. And uh, the God of Bethel, Bethel is uh, simply a, refer- a word that means the house of God. Beth being the house and, and uh, the last part, Ethel, El, El being uh, of God. So Genesis 31 also has references to uh, a Christophany. And then over to Exodus chapter 2. And um, I'm sorry, I'm pretty sure it's ac- it actually should be Genesis chapter 3. So I don't know what it is on your printed page, but when I wrote it down on my notes, I wrote chapter 2. Exodus chapter 3. This deals with Moses, so we're moving through this. Now again, be reminded that this is a time when they did not have written revelation. They did not have any scripture to refer to. Uh, they had traditions that they would have known verbatim. They would have been taught things about their heritage, about their genealogy, about, about the expectations of God on them. They would have been taught those things from a childhood. They would have just been drilled into them. So they would have had those things, but they, weren't, but they didn't have written revelation. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I'm getting to the point where I need the written revelation more and more. Um, because some of the things that I used to know can could quote to you from memory I can't, can't quote there anymore, so I need the written revelation more and more. So I appreciate the written revelation more and more because I can't depend on what somebody else said or what, maybe what else I've heard. I have to come back here and be remind, remind myself from the, from the Scripture itself. But here in uh, Exodus chapter 3, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he left led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. 
So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And just notice how the scripture is comfortable with interchanging titles. Okay, So we have the angel of the Lord. Uh, so we have this voice identifies the angel of the Lord. And then we have both the Lord and God both referenced in the same, in the same context, in the same verse. Um, so some of these things here, uh, he I, is identified as the angel of the Lord. His whole conversation with Moses in this particular passage is just uh, full of things that only God himself could say to Moses. That, you know, this isn't someone just representing the Godhead. This is a member of the Godhead. This is one of the three persons of the Godhead that is communicating to, um, to Moses in this particular situation. Um, declares the ground that he's on is holy in verses 5 and following. In verse 6, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, which is a typical way for them, him to establish himself as the, their, their real God, their historical God. And God hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Um, so the story of the burning bush, I, I don't know, seems to me maybe it's overlooked sometimes that it's actually referenced as, a, as the angel of the Lord. Um, we talk about the burning bush, we talk about Moses, uh, and I'm not saying you didn't already know that, but it may be something that's overlooked sometimes that, that the angel of the Lord is associated with this, this particular appearance. So here we have, we have appearance, we have a bush that's, that's burning but not burning, <laughs> burning but not being consumed. Uh, we have a, a title given to him as the angel of the Lord. We have all these, this conversation and all the promises that are, are going to take place here between, between God and, and the people of Israel as Moses returns as his representative. So again, a very, a very powerful uh, passage um, indicating that we just have something here uh, that's more than just either a man, obviously not, it's not just a man talking to Moses and obviously even more than just another, another creative, created being. And then on Exodus 14, this is a passage that I would um, tell you it does need, I guess, just some thought behind it. Um, it is another reference to the angel of God. I think it's in one of the judges passages, which we'll obviously at this time looking at the clock, we're not going to get to until next week, that it actually uses the reference of angel of God and angel of the Lord in the same context, which shows again that the scripture is comfortable with interchanging Elohim for Yahweh or, or God and, and uh, the Lord. But here in Exodus uh, fourteen nineteen, an angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. So the, the cloud and the fire that become um, common in our thoughts about God leading the people of Israel through the wilderness here are identified as, as the angel of God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10 for just a moment. This is not like a conclusive of passage, but it's something to lend to our th- thoughts about this particular passage. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, verse, beginning with verse 1. Um, now Paul here is writing to Gentile believers that would not have had a lot of um, probably extensive Old Testament knowledge, but obviously had, were, had been exposed to some of God's care for the people of Israel in the past. But in verse 1 of chapter 10, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were in the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And so he's not referred to as an angel of the Lord, but just the fact that the rock is identified as Christ and in the Exodus passage, I believe that the cloud and the fire are also identified with the appearances of Christ. So it's a, it's a unique um, appearance of the angel of the Lord. Uh, we're not seeing verbal, verbal communication. Uh, we're just seeing it identified in Scripture as being indeed the angel of the Lord himself. So I wrote down in my notes just, just an unusual reference to what I think would then could be referred to as the angel Lord in this particular... I mean, he is identified as the angel of God in the Exodus 19 passage, but the, the cloud by day and the fire by night, and also the idea of the, the rock also being a reference to Christ, that all this is it's just sort of amazing. I mean, that whole... I'm not, I don't want to get off the subject, but that whole uh, wilderness wandering uh, experience from the Scripture... The tabernacle, the way God designed the tabernacle and, and had it constructed, all the, the types that are in the, in the tabernacle, all the things that we see that are true about Christ that, that are presented in the tabernacle, the whole idea of like the fence that separated the, <coughs> the congregation from the, from the tabernacle and uh, everything, just the colors that are used in the tabernacle, <coughs> just all that, and uh, just uh, speak so so richly and vividly of God's care for his people, for the Israelites, and how he cared for them through that, through that uh, time uh, in, <clears throat> in the wilderness. <clears throat> and I just had something else that I was going to tell you out of all that, but like part of this whole process of getting older, I just lost track of it, so uh, I'm not sure what he said. I think I said what I said, some of what I said, but I didn't say all that I wanted to say. So turn with me to Exodus 23. Exodus 23 and verses 20. Before before I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into a place which I have prepared, beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my, my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do it according to their works, but you shall utterly throw them and completely break down their secret pillars. So here God's speaking about sending this angel that's going to be, go before them, keep them in the way, 
Again, you take that back to the Exodus 19 passage, which we just looked at, and the whole way God cared for his people through uh, all those things during the wilderness. But, but notice, again, the one thing that's interesting out of this passage about this angel is there in verse 21, Beware of him and obey his, obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. So this one, this angel that God is sending before the people of Israel, are that he is able to forgive their transgressions. But, he, but what the warning is, don't sin deliberately. That's not acceptable. Don't sin just to, as the New Testament talk about, don't sin just so grace can abound. And so the idea here is this, this angel that's being sent before them is able to forgive transgression. And the only ones that can forgive transgression are in fact the members of the Godhead. So it is a, again, it is a reference to, to this angel being having only the qual- only qualities that only God could have. We won't turn there because we don't have time to even begin. But the next passage we're going to look at is Numbers 22. Uh, it may be mo- one of the more uh, familiar passages about the angel of the Lord. Uh, anybody, w- without oh, lick your fingers and hurry up and turn. To- Turn it, but what's what's Genesis? What's Numbers twenty-two talking about? Anybody? Huh? Balaam. Yep, Balaam. Uh, and who could see the angel of the Lord? The donkey could see it to begin with, and then finally, and then finally, uh, Balaam was able to see it also. But. So one of those passages, like I said, is probably one of the more well-known passages associated with the angel of the Lord, and we will pick up there next week. Okay, let's pray. Thank you for just giving us your word, letting us have this written revelation. We thank you for the way that you faithfully communicated to and led and provided for your people on all these uh, times and all these years past. We thank you for the way you sustain us even today and carrying us. We, it may not be as dramatic all the time or uh, even recognizable sometimes, but we know that you are caring for us in an intimate way, in a very careful way, a way that cares for even the tiniest detail of our lives. And we thank you for that care. We thank you for that love. And we thank you for these created spirit beings that do minister to those are the heirs of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Tammy. Well, I, 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 under, I understand. Probably as probably as we look at the Trinity, yeah. okay. It probably is God the Father that is doing the actual forgiving yeah, right, sins. Yeah.
it's based upon the finished work of Christ. Yeah, right. And then the Holy Spirit, he, he's the one that brings it to our lives and a lot, uh, like applies it to our oh, lives. Okay. So, so I guess technically or specifically speaking, I would say, tell you that the Holy Spirit probably doesn't, is it probably shown in Scripture to be the, a forgiver of sins? Yeah. But he is obviously as a member of the tr Trinity. He would right, be capable right, of doing right, that. Right. Probably just not his responsibility. Yeah. Be like at, be like at work. Yeah, you yeah. might be capable okay. of doing somebody else's work, but it's yeah. not your job. Go ahead. That's what um, uh, I was thinking. Um, 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 that um, um, uh, 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 it is um, through him that um, that Christ um, forgives your sins. Right. Right. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah, they're all involved. Yeah. They all have the responsibility. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yes, sir. I think, it, I think there was a literal physical rock that was following him. I think the rock that, that Moses struck and he should have spoken to, I think that rock actually, just like I think there was an actual pillar of fire, actual cloud that was there, I think the rock was there too. Ever since then I had wondered about it, and I thought, that's not the scripture. So today we went to 1 Corinthians 10, and it talks about this. It's a man that is scripture. I mean... It seems, it seems impossible to us or unreal, right. uh, unrealistic to us, I guess, I guess yeah. I should say. I never heard it as established as Jewish tradition, but I, I it's always just thought that that was hard as it may or may not be to believe. I've, I've always just thought that, that, yeah, there was a rock following. Why, God, why, God, why did God do that? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Yep, you're welcome. I need to give this to Mike. I don't want to put it back in my thing because I'll forget to give it to him. I need to put my lectern away that I hold it. Thank you, sir.
How are you doing today? Pretty good. You young man. Good. <laughs> I just put the attendance sheet in here somewhere. What? I put the attendance sheet in here somewhere. No. She filled it out. She handed it to me as I was gathering up stuff. <laughs> <laughs>